Ephesians chapter 2 and also the Gospel of John chapter number 1. We're going to uh, start this morning and primarily our message is going to come from Ephesians chapter 2. But after we've read that and uh, prayed, we are going to early in the message jump back and look at the first portion of, first of John's Gospel chapter number 1 uh, as well. So you'll want to have your place held there uh, as well. Uh, I do believe that beginning this morning we have a handout that can be downloaded available. I don't know if you've seen that already, but if you're watching this morning and you would like that, some like that, it helps makes it a little easier to follow along. Uh, and it correlates with the, the, what you see up on the screen uh, as the message is being preached this morning. Uh, and so we invite you to take advantage of that and then to look over it through the week in your devotional life. Sometimes it, it's good to just stop and reflect back on what God's given us on Sunday. Uh, and to meditate on those things and to ask God uh, to continue to speak to our hearts. Well, Ephesians chapter number two, if you found your place there, and we're going to be looking here at the first 10 verses this morning. Uh, pretty well known passage and the chapter one concludes with uh, Jesus position as the head of the church and the body uh, being exalted and uh, described by the Apostle Paul. And then he begins chapter two, uh, shifting back to what our place is and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the world, uh, or according to the prince and the power of the air, and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others." For God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us or made us alive again together with Christ, by grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together, and hath made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus." For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. And I want to speak to you this morning on this thought, just very simply, the grace of God. And let's pray. Father, as we uh, open your word this morning, may you open our hearts. Lord, thank you for the faithfulness of your people, Lord, in this difficult time, uh, in this strange time when we miss coming together physically. Uh, Lord, I thank you for those that are faithful to assemble, uh, Lord, even in this online fashion. Thank you for the technology that makes it possible for us to come together even when we can't. Lord, I pray that you would bless our time together this morning. I pray that you would bless your people. I pray that you would bless your word. May you anoint it. May you empower it. Lord, I pray that our hearts and our lives would be impacted by the truth that we're given this morning. In Jesus' name and amen. You know, when we think about the grace of God, and, uh, and I, I think about the title, and I, you know, I almost kind of don't like my own title this morning because it implies that we're going to 
uh, try to somehow exhaustively cover an inexhaustible subject. And uh, that's, not the, that's not my goal this morning. My goal is to just give some basic uh, reminders about where we are and what we experience in the grace of God. And the grace of God is a wonderful and amazing thing. Uh, it could be said, and uh, I believe it's true to say that it is the essence of the New Testament church. But the grace of God is not something that is new uh, into the church age. The grace of God has pre-existed man. If you look at it as the character and the nature of God, which it is, then it's eternal. Uh, if you look at its, uh, its uh, imposition onto the world and when it came about, when we see it, uh, when we see it being demonstrated on this earth, you see it from the very first moment that man sinned from God. You see, and even before in the, in the garden, you see God's grace manifested in mankind. You see it on display uh, even in times where God is, uh, is in wrath bringing uh, punishment for disobedience and judgment for sin and uh, things of that nature. And so we kind of get an essence of that in John chapter 1. And so I want you to hold your place there in Ephesians 2. And let's look back at the Gospel of John in chapter 1. Uh, and we're going to look at the first 17 verses here this morning just as a, uh, a way of understanding that grace is not just something that God demonstrates, but it is really uh, who God is. It, it is just something that naturally uh, comes forth out of God because it is, uh, it is the essence of His character. It's who He is. I'm not minimizing His righteousness, His holiness. I'm not trying to minimize His justice and, uh, and all of those other attributes, His love, His compassion. But grace is that component that causes Him to demonstrate that compassion to us. It's a mechanism by which He saves our souls. It is, uh, it is the way that He looks at us and uh, instead of bringing destruction for our sin, He uh, demonstrates His love and He saves our souls. And so uh, it's an important thing for us to be mindful of as we go through our daily lives. So in John's Gospel, uh, in chapter number 1, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came 
by Jesus Christ. And so John the Baptist, that great witness, who is a cousin to Jesus, who is older physically in human form than Jesus, says that this is the one that came before me. He is before me. He is that light. You notice that uh, when it got to John's testimony that the light was uh, identified as a person. It was a capital L there. It was identifying the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and how that light that lights every man, that makes it possible for every man to come uh, to a point of decision and salvation uh, to demonstrate his grace is, uh, is on display there from the very beginning. And what a wonderful truth it is to know this morning that no matter what I face in life, God's grace is there to see me through it. You know, it is, it is uh, not a proper interpretation of God or the scripture to think that because I trusted Jesus as my Savior, then that means that I'm not going to have to face any adversity, that I'm not ever going to have to face an illness, that I'm not uh, going to have to see death. We know that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment, Hebrews tells us. So we understand this morning that, uh, that because of sin on the earth, there is sickness and there is death and there is... Uh, sometimes peril and destruction. There is the, the meanness and the hatred of, uh, that, that's demonstrated in mankind. Those are attributes that, uh, that are as a, a result of our sin, not a result of God's love. But the reality is, is that while God looks at us and says, yes, you are uh, on this earth and you have to endure those things because you're my child, because you've enjoyed my grace, my grace will be there for you to see you through it. And it's a wonderful truth that God's grace is new every day. God gives us the grace that we need for today, today. He doesn't give us tomorrow's grace today. He doesn't, so we can't save any of yesterday's grace for today. Uh, we must renew and God renews that grace for us uh, on a daily basis. It's a wonderful truth to know that when we go through times like these, God has promised his grace to see us through, see us through it. That when I was lost in my sin and I came to the knowledge of that sin, that God in his love drew me to himself and then in his grace showed mercy upon my sin and my sinful soul and saved me by that grace as I expressed my faith to him. Uh, and so that concept of grace, again, it is essential uh, to the New Testament church. And, uh, and uh, we understand and we like the concept of grace. We, uh, we like the fact that we live in an age of grace. And, uh, but one of the things that I've learned as a pastor through the years is that, uh, that grace is one of those words that's like a lot of words in Christianity. It is, uh, it is the fact that uh, there are a lot of things that we know on a casual basis, but we seldom uh, stay studious enough with them to where we understand their meaning and we make full of them implementation of them uh, into our lives. I think that we see that grace is one of those types of words. We, uh, we know it. We can loosely define it. Uh, we can in, at times demonstrate it. We can uh, appreciate that it saved our soul and that God is working in us. Uh, but grace is an example of, again, the words that they're easily defined intellectually, but uh, seldom have we fully understood them to the point that we embrace them and therefore fully live them out in our lives. And as a Christian, we ought to be not just enjoying the grace of God, but living out the grace of God in our lives. Uh, living in such a way that 
others are drawn to him. That's the wonderful thing about John the Baptist. He came out and, uh, and he was a witness to the light. He was a witness to the grace of God. And that's what our lives should be. Uh, not just in our words, but in the way in which we live, in the way that we conduct ourselves, in the way that we interact with our fellow man. Uh, and so as we uh, look at this concept this morning, uh, we could say that uh, even the world uh, who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior has some concept of what grace means to Christianity. Uh, we see that in Merriam-Webster's dictionary, a more modern dictionary, uh, which describes or which defines grace this way. Uh, Merriam-Webster again defines it as unmerited divine assistance given to humans for their regeneration or sanctification. And so loosely in the mind of modern man, the grace of God in a Christian's mind is uh, something that is undeserved but given anyway. And so we, we, we don't deserve the assistance of God, but we have the assistance of God. And that assistance has been given to us to regenerate us or to sanctify us or to set us apart for God's service. Now, if we look a little bit deeper at this word and look back at uh, the, uh, the Webster's Dictionary of the early 1800s, uh, then it's defined this way. It's defined as the free, unmerited love and favor of God. It is the spring and the source of all the benefits that men receive from Him. And so it is free, unmerited, uh, and, and it's, you know, there are a lot of different things that we say to describe it, to define it. Uh, I think one of the acronyms that I learned uh, early in my Christian life was it's God's riches at Christ's expense. And those things are accurate descriptions of grace. Uh, Webster went on to say this, and this falls in line with uh, the definition of the Greek word here that's translated grace in our text this morning. And it means this, or Webster states it this way, it is divine influence or the influence of the spirit in the renewing of the heart and the restraining from sin. So in other words, the grace of God renews my heart, my relationship with him, and it restrains me from sin. In other words, when my, when my flesh, and we see in our text this morning when he talked about in verse 3, among whom also we had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh. It's not talking about a dialogue with our friends. It's talking about the habits of our life. That conversation is the way that we lived and the way that we pursued life and the way that we perceived life. And so uh, when I was in my sin and I was pursuing the desires of my flesh, uh, then there was no restraint because there was no sense that this was sinful. There was no sense in my soul and my spirit that this was uh, against God, that this was displeasing to my father. And so I was free to just pursue whatever my flesh wanted to do. But when God came a part of it, when Jesus saved my soul, when I was given the grace of God, when the grace of God was bestowed upon me, then it began to restrain me for, from sin. In other words, there are things that once I trusted Jesus as my Savior, that I could no longer participate in without feeling as if I were doing something that was wrong. That is a restraining from sin. That is the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God working in the life of God's children. 
And so Webster puts it up that way. Now, our Greek word here, uh, just simply put, the word charis means uh, the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. The divine influence, God's influence on our heart and its reflection in our life. So when the grace of God is at work in our life, then it, then it, it works within us but it is reflected in how we live. It is reflected in how we conduct our business. Now, the many modern Christians would, would say, hey, we live in the age of grace. That means that under grace, then I can go out and I can do whatever I want to do. But we are not, even though we live in an age of grace, exempt from the truth and the command of the New Testament to be holy because he is holy. And so I have to reconcile that in my heart and my mind. And the understanding is, is that when the Holy Spirit of God works in me, he is not in his grace giving me a license to go out and to live and act like the world without guilt. He is working in me and true grace will demonstrate itself in my life by conforming me more into the image of Christ, not more into the image of the world. It will make me more holy, not less holy. It will refine my life and it will, it will set me apart to the service of my God and my relationship with him. As I live, uh, it would continue to, to define this in this way, the merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ. He then keeps us. It is him who keeps us. He strengthens us and he increases us in the Christian faith. It is his knowledge and affection working in us and it kindles us to the exercise of Christian virtues. And so he develops and he works in us uh, the exercising of Christian virtues. And you see that in verse number 10 of our text this morning when he says, for we are his workmanship. He is working in us. Jesus, that master craftsman, that great carpenter working in your life and my life. So we could say this, the grace of God uh, is working in the lives of all men but not all men will receive it. Not every person that has been convicted by the Spirit of God. Not every person that has heard or had shown on uh, the light of Christ by a witness, as John the Baptist was, uh, is going to embrace him or is going to uh, accept him. Uh, it is, it is a, a way of life that uh, we're drawn to. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 4 uh, and verse 14, and we've looked at these verses here uh, recently, given that this time of the year, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. So we have made a profession in Christ. We've received him as our Savior. Hang on to that. Hold fast in that profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Isn't it a wonderful truth to know that everything that I experience, that every worry that I have, that every temptation that I face, that Jesus experienced it and won victory over it? He, I, I don't have to explain to him. You know, sometimes we have conversations with people and we've never been through what they've been through. So we can't really empathize with them the way that they would like for us to be able to or need to. We can try to understand. We can try to put ourselves in their shoes, but we've never actually experienced it. So it makes it more difficult for us uh, to, to help them to feel as if our heart is fully engaged with them. But Jesus is not restricted that way. He has been touched with the feeling of our infirmities. In other words, everything that we've experienced, he's experienced. Every heartache, 
betrayal, rejection, all of the things, uh, everything that we that we'll go through, Jesus has gone through them, but was in all points tempted like as we are, and yet without sin. Listen, we're tempted and we sin. We fail. We fail in this flesh. We let God down. We, uh, we disappoint ourselves at times. And, uh, and we have to come back and we have to seek God's forgiveness and restore that relationship with our Father. Uh, but Jesus never failed. He never sinned. He was tempted like I'm tempted. He was tempted like you're tempted. But he was without sin. Then in verse 16 he says, Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace. Isn't that interesting that he refers to the throne of heaven, the place that we can come to and pray, a place where he says that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need, that he refers to this as not the throne of heaven, but the throne of grace. A place where he extends his grace to us. A, a place where he shows us his love for us, his compassion for us. So what is grace? Grace is the working of God in my life and in your life that is drawing me to him, that is developing me in him, and that is refrain, restraining me from acting out in my flesh in sin. It is a continual process, a continual working of God in the heart and in the life of his children. Now we're going to look at just three basic concepts about grace uh, this morning. Uh, and again, we could spend... Uh, we could spend a lifetime examining the grace of God and uh, never exhaust the subject. Uh, and we're not going to try to do that this morning. We just want to draw some basic principles here. Uh, and again, in what we see in this first five verses of chapter 2 of Ephesians is that he has given us grace for life. We have life. We have eternal life because of the grace of God. And so when we look here at this grace for life again, let's look at these first five verses. And you hath he quickened, or you hath he made alive, hath he brought back who were dead in trespasses and sins. And we in our spirit, though our soul and our body live without Christ, the spirit lay dead within us uh, in our sin, in our trespasses and sins. But God's grace has made us alive. Jesus has made us alive and quickened our spirit or made alive again that spirit uh, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. In other words, without that spirit, without the grace of God, I just did what everybody else did. I just lived like everyone else in the world lived. I just followed along uh, with a society of this world according to the prince and the power of the air. And the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation. We've established that that is our lifestyle, the habits of our life in times past, and the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, now we get it to love uh, the buts in Scripture, whenever they're going from where we were to what God has made us. Uh, and so, but God. I was lost in sin. I was dominated by sin. I was following after the God of this world. I was uh, a child of disobedience to that which is righteous and holy and, uh, and all that God represents. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. 
Romans 5, 8 put it this way, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God, Jesus has demonstrated for us and to us his love and he has extended to us and offered us his grace even when we were in sin and we did not know him. He caused the light to be shown by witnesses so that we might be drawn to him so that his grace could be interjected into our life so that we would have an opportunity by faith to accept that grace and have our lives transformed. That is grace for life. God's grace, first of all, brought us unto salvation. It is the grace of God that brought us to him. It is the grace of God that drew us to him. It is the working of the Holy Spirit of God that convinced us that this truth that we've been given, that we're sinners in need of a Savior, has confirmed in our heart that that is true so that we would see the need, so that we would turn to Jesus and understand that we needed him in our life. In Acts chapter 15, in verse number 11, he said, But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, even as they. We shall be saved by his grace. And so it is a wonderful thing that God has given us, has demonstrated to us uh, this marvelous grace that we have in Christ. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 24, he says, Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Listen, my friend, salvation from our sin is by the grace of God through our faith that we place in him as he in his grace exposes our sin by shining his light upon it so that we see him for who he is and we see ourselves for who we are and we see that there's a great need here and the chasm is too great for me to cross but the love of God extends its arms across and lifts me over by God's grace and saves my soul. God's grace brought us and brings us unto salvation. I could not do it on my own. You cannot do it on your own. It is not up to us. It is not by us. We make a choice. We choose to place our faith in him or we choose not to. But that's all that we can do. Because everything else is too great. It's far beyond us, but it's not beyond the outstretched arms of the grace of God. God's grace brought us to salvation. Not only does God's grace bring us into salvation, but God's grace brings salvation. He brought me to the point of salvation, but he didn't just bring me to an understanding of my need. He saw it through. In Ephesians chapter 2, in verse number 8, he tells us, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. And it is a gift. Now we have a hard time really in our culture has trained us to think that some things that we get really inexpensively are gifts. And we kind of view things that if you, uh, if you, if you do this, I'll give you a gift. Uh, if you uh, participate in this, uh, the big thing is the infomercials on TV or the commercials. You uh, buy this and we'll, if you'll buy this, if you'll spend $20 on this, then we'll give you another one for free. No, they didn't. They just gave you two for $10 a piece. 
It's a great deal, but it's not a gift. It's not free. I had to do something to get it. I had to earn it uh, and pay for it in some measure, some fashion. A gift is given without regard to my ability to do something to, to obtain it. So when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what we're doing is simply is just acknowledging that we're accepting the gift. Jesus says, here's the gift of eternal life. And I look and say, that's a gift. You know how many times, and I've had times in my life where someone has offered to give me something that really I had no use for. You know, someone, uh, they, and it wasn't that it was, you know, necessarily a, uh, a special day gift or something of that nature. It was just uh, maybe I was with them and they were, uh, they were doing away with some things or they just uh, were looking for a way to, uh, looking for someone maybe that might have a use for it. And uh, if it's something that I had a use for, I was like, yeah, man, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, but there was nothing expected in return uh, as far as like, okay, I'll, I'll do this, but you have to come and do this for me later. Uh, and then there are other times when someone maybe has offered something that, you know, I had, I had no use for. You know, for example, if someone were to come in today and said, hey, uh, Pastor, I'm going to give you, uh, I'm going to give you a, uh, a John Deere tractor, a brand new John Deere tractor uh, for you to use at your home. You have to just use it at your house. Well, I live in a subdivision. I have a really small yard. I don't even need a riding lawnmower. Uh, and I don't think my yard's big enough to even mess with a riding lawnmower. Uh, I would have no use for that. I would no, all it would do would be to take up space. It would, it would be unable, I would be unable to use it. It would be of no, so I would not accept that gift. And that's the thing about salvation. We will never accept Jesus as our Savior if we don't understand or feel as if we need what he has to offer so the Holy Spirit works in our life and that's what we're talking about where grace brings salvation unto us but grace also brings us to salvation it is showing us that we have the need it is God's grace working in us demonstrating that I need what Jesus Christ has to give and grace brings salvation we sing about it in songs like grace greater than our sin. I think it's my favorite all-time hymn. And we sing about the marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. We talk about the, the, the weight of sin, sin and despair. It's, it says like the sea waves cold, threaten the soul with infinite loss. Grace that is greater, yes, grace and cold points to the refuge, the mighty cross. We talk about dark is a stain that we cannot hide. I cannot hide my sin from God. I can't restrain it from God. I can't hold it back. Grace, uh, that, or we said, I cannot hide it. What can we do to wash it away? I can't do anything. Look, there is flowing a crimson tide, brighter than snow you may be today. The blood of Jesus Christ can wash away my sin and make my wretched, blackened soul white as snow. Clean. Clean before God. We sing about the wonderful grace of Jesus that's greater than all our sin. How can my tongue describe it? Where shall its praise begin? Taking away my burden, setting my spirit free. For the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. We sing about it, reaching to all the lost. By it I have been pardoned. I've been saved to the uttermost. Chains have been torn asunder. 
giving me liberty. Why? Because the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. My friends, it reaches you too. So we consider this grace, this grace for life. It is grace that brought us unto salvation. And it is grace that brings salvation. But it is also grace that is accessed by faith. God's grace is accessed by faith. Notice in Romans chapter number 5, uh, in verse number 2, uh, the Apostle Paul, as he writes, describes it this way, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It is our faith that accesses the grace of God. God's grace is all around us all the time. God's grace is, uh, is available to me. God's grace is prevalent in society. God's grace is shining a light on the darkness of this world and its sin. God's grace is everywhere at every moment, but until I express faith in Him, I have no access to it. Faith is the great access point that we have into the grace of God. And so there's grace for life. Grace that brings me to life. Grace that gives me that eternal life in Christ Jesus. The wonderful grace of life. Secondly, we see that we have not just grace for life, but we have grace for living. We have grace to live by. We could also say this morning that we have grace to die by. And we have grace for everything in between. And God gives us in any measure of any day what is needed in that time and in that moment so that we can experience uh, what God has for us and what God is demonstrating to us. So grace for living, what we're saying here is I'm saying that the grace of God shapes my life. It is the grace of God that can shape you, can shape me, that can mold me into the person that God expects for me to become, that God created me to be, that God designed me to be. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse number 10, he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. And so the Apostle Paul writes, listen, I have become for God what I have become by His grace. I've worked hard, but it's not about my hard work. It's about the grace of God working in me and shaping me and molding me. And the reality of this morning, it is the grace of God that shapes us, that changes us, that transforms us. It is His working in our lives that makes us who God has designed us to be, that transform me from that raw material into that refined instrument that God can use for His honor and glory. Grace shapes us. Not only does grace shape us, but the grace of God strengthens us. We don't have to do anything and we cannot do anything effectively in our own strength. Our strength must come from God. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, and uh, verse number 1, Paul wrote to the young Timothy, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in grace. You're going to face hardships. You're going to face difficulties. You're going to face uh, problems in the days ahead, Timothy. How you face them is going to make a huge impact in the lives of uh, those around you. Uh, and how you're going to do that, you must do it uh, by standing in the grace 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. In our text in verse number 7 it says that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. It is this grace working in uh, and through us as we live. And the grace of God strengthens us. Some things about the grace of God and its strength. You know, we think, well, pastor, what about when I use up uh, that measure of grace? And I'm saying there's no end to God's grace. God's grace is, an, uh, is a well that cannot run dry. It is something that God gives us on a daily basis. And so it's important that we understand that God's grace is abundant. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 15, he says, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound into the glory of God. It is his abundant grace working in our lives uh, that impacts us, that God uses in the lives of others. Not only is it abundant grace, but it is an abounding grace. It's not just Hey, it's abundant, you've got plenty of it, but it's abounding, it's practical. It can be used in every moment of life. It can uh, give that direction. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 8, he says, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Listen, I can do everything that God has for me to do, and I can do it, in his grace, because that grace is abounded in me so that it can work. It's abundant and it's abounding so that we can be and become what God wants us to be. But not only that, it's abiding. It's not coming and going. It abides within us. It stays with us. He is with us always. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He stays with us through everything that he's given us to do. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verses 6 through 9, he says, Insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he begun, so he'd also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, and utterance and knowledge and all diligence and in your love to us see that ye abound in this grace also I speak not by commandment but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor that ye through his poverty might be rich rich in the grace of our Savior Rich in his power, rich in his strength, rich in his salvation. What I'm saying this morning is that not only did Jesus Christ give me grace for life, but he has given me grace to live that life. To live that life in his power, to live that life in his strength, to live that life for his glory. We say, but Pastor, that, that's a lot of labor. That's a lot of tedious work. That's a lot of day-to-day Living, Yes, it is. We're talking about the conversation of our life, the habits of our life, uh, the direction of our life. And thirdly, this morning, we see that not only has he given us grace for life and not only has he given us grace to live that life, but he also gives us the grace that we need for that laboring. Grace for laboring. Grace to stay with it, to stay faithful. To stay engaged, for we are his workmanship. And Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 tells us, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. He created us, he created us to do his work, to good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So my new life should be walked in the grace of God. My new life should be walked in the actions that please God. 
and so we see that in action. And we see just a few thoughts about that this morning uh, as we wrap up. And, uh, and he tells us that we are stewards of that grace. God gave us this grace and as we are stewards of the gospel, so are we stewards uh, of uh, the grace of God. In 1 Peter uh, chapter 4 and verse 10, he tells us as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. I've received the gift. I received his grace. I've received his salvation. I've allowed the Holy Spirit to work in my life. How does that manifest itself? It manifests itself uh, by me as a steward of that grace, demonstrating the grace of God in the lives of others. Demonstrating God's grace in the lives of Christians and encouraging them and helping them and uh, and. Uh, resetting their course aright uh, uh, as they as we all serve the Lord together. Uh, we are to be stewards of that grace. But if I would be a steward of that grace, I must be continually growing in that grace. When I trusted Jesus as my Savior, I got all the grace that I needed for salvation. But I need grace every day. I need grace renewed every day to live effectively uh, for the Savior. In 2 Peter chapter number 3 and verse number 18, he says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, but that he might bring us unto God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. And in chapter 1 and verse number 2 of Second Peter, he said this, Elect according unto the foreknowledge of God the Father, and through, excuse me, I'm in First Peter, in Second Peter, in Second Peter chapter number uh, 3 and verse number 18, uh, he said this, uh, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and the Savior Jesus Christ. In first and second Peter chapter one and verse number two, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. We are to be growing in that grace. Growing every day in his grace. We are to be stewards of the grace. If we would be stewards, we must be growing in that grace, and we are to remain. In that grace, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and uh, verse number 1, we uh, learn that we are to be stewards of that grace, that that grace uh, not be bestowed upon our lives uh, in vain. God did not give us that grace uh, to be wasted. He gave us that grace that he might be growing it and living it and working it in our lives. And in 2 Corinthians 6, 1, we then as workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. We want to use the grace of God and let God work in our lives uh, to his honor and to his glory. Uh, and so we see that that grace for laboring, I'm a steward of his grace. I must be growing in his grace. I must be determined to remain in that grace. I don't want to be serving God today and serving the world tomorrow. I don't want to be a wishy-washy Christian. How do I stop from doing that, Pastor? How do I get out of that cycle? Be committed to walk in the grace that God has bestowed upon you. Uh, live in that and let him live in us. We are to receive it not in vain. We are to stand fast, not to fall from grace. Galatians chapter 5 tells us in the first four verses, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified from the law, ye are fallen from grace. In other words, if I'm living 
and I am observing tenets of religion, I'm not living in grace. I've departed from the grace life. The grace life is a life not that is free from obedience to Christ, but it's a life that obeys Christ because he's working in us and because he loves us and because we love him. I can serve religion without loving God. I can serve the church and love the church without loving God. Listen, uh, the church is a good thing. Jesus established it. He's the head of it. But my love is to the Savior. The grace that's bestowed upon me is from the Savior. The church has bestowed no grace upon me. But Jesus has. The church did not save me. Jesus did. And what we understand is that we must stand fast in the grace of our God. Standing fast, not falling from grace, not to turn from grace, not to turn to the things of this world and to be caught up in its lasciviousness like uh, Jude tells us in verse 4 when he said, For there are certain men that we have to beware of crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, uh, lasciviousness, that just overindulgence in sin over and over again, uh, when, I, when, I, uh, when I try to make the grace of God be a license to be able to live however I want, and to do whatever I want, and to not call it sin, that is displeasing to God, that is a misrepresentation of the truth of what the grace of God is, uh, and it is uh, unpleasing to God, and we are warned to stay away from those who would live in such a way, that to live and to pursue that unbridled lust. That's what Jesus saved us from in Ephesians chapter 2 in the first place. From pursuing the life of our old flesh, our own lust, our own desires. We turned away from that. He saved us from that, that we might live in his grace and that we would live uh, determined not to defile his grace with our sin. He tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and therefore many be defiled. I don't want my great God's grace to be defiled in me because I want to use it as a, an excuse to live the old life, the way that I lived before I knew him. That's not true grace. Listen, my friends, we've looked this morning at uh, Romans 5.2 where we learn that grace is accessed by faith. The pastor, I'm struggling with his grace. I'm struggling with living a life in grace. I'm struggling with staying on track in my Christian life. How do I do it? Put your faith in him. It's about faith. The Christian life is a faith life. We enjoy the grace of God by faith. He saved my soul by grace through faith. He empowers my life over sin by grace through faith. He leads us and guides us because of his grace, but we have to access or express our faith to live the life that he's given us to live. God gives us that. And by the way, uh, if, if we're lacking, if we're uh, wondering, James chapter number four uh, and verse number six, he says, but he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. When I humble myself before him, and when I recognize my condition and recognize what he's given, what I see and what I learn from him is that God in his love and in his uh, mercy and compassion through his grace has expressed forgiveness to me. He has demonstrated and given mercy to me and that I then through my faith can place my faith in what he's done, recognizing who he is 
And that grace coupled with my faith brings me to God. And causes me to have opportunity to give my heart to him. Therefore receiving the gift. And then having my life transformed into something that's pleasing for him. That I might go out and labor not in my own ability. Not in my own power. But in his grace. In his power. For his glory. For his merit. Not caught up with the things of this world. Not defiling the grace that God has bestowed upon my life. But living a life that is molded into the image of Christ. That is becoming more holy day by day as he is. So that the grace of God can abound to glorify him in and through me and you. My friends this morning if you're watching and you've been listening. And you would come and you would say pastor I've never trusted Jesus Christ as my savior. My friends this morning you've heard exactly how to do that. That God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sin hath quickened us together with Christ by grace ye are saved. Listen my friends if you come this morning and say pastor I've never trusted Jesus as my savior. The biblical truth is is that there is a spirit within you that God created that is dead. It's never been alive in your lifetime. You've never experienced what it's like to have that spirit alive that can commune with God. But the grace of God has shown light upon that truth to you today. And the grace of God is drawing you and compelling you to him. And the grace of God will activate your faith if you will accept the gift and believing who he is and what he's done. That in the moment that you by faith accept his forgiveness and his mercy, then his grace will bestow upon you a new life. It will quicken you who were dead in trespasses and sin. It will make that spirit that God created in you that's lied dormant come to life. So that you can commune with God in your spirit. So that God can commune with you in your spirit. So that he can begin to change and to transform your life. So that you can see things as he sees them. So that he can shape you and mold you to become what he created you to be. So that you can live for his glory. And the most spectacular thing at all is that there's not anything about it that you can do or I can do in our own power to make it possible. Every step of the way is the grace of God working in us. Every step of the way, coming to Christ accepting Christ, growing in him, being molded into his image, serving him effectively, making an impact of eternity. None of that is dependent upon my ability. None of that is dependent upon my strength. All of it is dependent upon me staying engaged with his grace by keeping my faith in him. By keeping engaged in that faith, understanding that the grace of God is his divine influence upon my heart, and then it is then reflected in my life. My friends, would you let the grace of God dominate your heart? Would you let the grace of God overtake you and mold you and shape you so that you too can be a light, so that you can be witness to that light? Like we saw in, in John chapter 1, John the Baptist was a witness of the light, and the light was shown upon all men. What did he shine? He shone the grace of God upon the heart of man. So that we could see our need. So that we could trust him as our savior. So that he could change us into his image. So that we could serve him for his glory. So that the world could be impacted for eternity.
My friends, that's the grace of God. That's the grace of God at work in your life. That's the grace of God at work in my life. And that's the grace of God at work in the New Testament church. Would you this morning, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I accept your gift of salvation. Would you please forgive my sins and become my Savior? Would you, Christian, who knows that Jesus is your Savior, but you fail to live effectively for him, say, God, just as your grace has saved me, I understand this morning that your grace can empower me to live the way that you desire for me to live. That, that, my, that your grace working in me can cause me to become effective for you. My friends, would you embrace this morning the grace of our God?